This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor and the good folks like you who stir the pot. Good morning, Malcolm White with Carol Palmer. Today we are your hosts and guides for a conversation about food, foodways, and cooking, eating, and sharing. So, let's break bread together. Today on the show... It's open topic, which means that the lines are open. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what's been cooking uh, in your kitchen, what you're eating, what you're planning. You got any new kitchen tips to share? Got any new gadgets you want to talk about? We'd love to hear from you. Also, we'll touch on a sell-by date or best-by dates on foods. Do they really matter or are they just made up? So, uh, it's been a busy week uh, around the food world, and uh, I don't know, Carol, I, I'm calling this a Slumgullion show because Slumgullion is a term my grandfather used for making a stew out of leftovers in the refrigerator. But I did some research, and it turns out that the term actually comes from an 1849 from the Gold Rush, and, and the, and the Slumgullion was the slurry that was left after they panned for gold, uh, gold, and then at the turn of the century, the term began to be used to describe a weak, tasteless stew. So I don't want to make our show. No, weak and no, tasteless. but it, then it was transformed, and now they call it an American goulash. Correct. But when I saw that word when you texted me, slumgullion. I thought, oh gosh, what's wrong with Malcolm this morning? He's got a he's got <laughs> he's a bad got, case of slum going. So I had I had to look it up. <laughs> I was worried you weren't going to be able to make it. <laughs> but no, my grandfather Stuart would about once a week, every two weeks, he would make this pot of soup out of whatever was in the refrigerator. It always had either a beef or or chicken base, and then he would add whatever was in there, rice. Green beans, uh, you know, piece, little pieces of ham, some and such. grains, anything he had. Yeah, anything. So I thought so today is that kind of show. So that's where you must have gotten it because you know that that's one of my favorite things about your cooking is you just kind of go, hmm, hmm. and open the hmm. refrigerator. Hmm. And go, what have we got? So let here? me tell you what I did <laughs> hmm, this past week. For the first time in my life, I microwaved an egg. <gasps> And I'd never done that before. I'd, I was going to make a bacon and egg sandwich yesterday morning. I didn't feel like getting out a pot and a pan and cleaning up after myself. So I just put an egg in a bowl and scrambled it, put a little water in there, a little hot sauce, a little pepper, and microwaved it for a minute. And it came out as the perfect scrambled egg for a sandwich. And I've never done that before. Well, did you read about that? Oh, no, no, no. Of course not. I just made it up. Well, you know, I remember that we talked. We were having an egg show one time, and we never thought about microwaving eggs. And one of our listeners, Dr. Jim Sungs, and this has been a while back, 
He breaks two eggs and microwaves them for 64 seconds. I just searched for this. I searched for this text, and this is from January of 2022. He says exactly, Mm -hmm. but he spells it E G G S. (laughs) Of course he did. A C T L Y. It's the perfect poached egg. But. I've got to talk to you about eggs for just a minute before we move on. Please, please. Okay. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about scrambled eggs, and you said very strongly that your eggs had to be shaken, not stirred. Correct. So I have tried a couple of times to shake my scrambled eggs, and all it does is make a lot of noise on the stove. Hmm. So... I'd like to come over this week. Yeah, and we need see, to get together and see how you shake. I'd be delighted to show you. But how do you I, just go on the grate? Um, I just shake them around in the pot, and then if there's a, a bit of looseness, I will flip them one time. Flip. I, but you don't have to. I okay. Did. I like you know. I grew up cooking in, a, in an industrial kitchen. So, yeah, so, so you flipping can flip. is an easy thing. Yeah, for me. flipping not is, for everybody. It no. scares the bejesus. Do out not of a lot try of this at home. Yeah. Okay. Can we put that on the yes, calendar? Yes, of course we can. Eggs one hundred and one with Carol. Yes. Okay. But I brought you what Kara did. I, I brought you a treat this morning. Man. It is a blueberry crumble pie that she made uh, over the weekend, and it's a homemade crust with a crumble. Topping, almost like a lattice crumble topping. Really good. Uh, the blueberries are delicious. The pie is so good. Java, you got a chunk. Carol, you got a chunk for you and John. So, uh, oh, hope, man. Hope you enjoy I saw that. it. I saw a photo of it. Oh, I'm that's cooking right. and coping right. this weekend. Right. And I just can't believe that I am the recipient of this goodness. And I promised uh, Thomas Williams a chunk. And he's en route from New Orleans back to yes, Jackson. Yes, Tom is our Nashville. That's right. But he happens to be en route from New Orleans to Jackson, and he will be calling in here shortly. And uh, he gets a big chunk of the blueberry crumble as well, because he was the first to acknowledge and to reach out when Kara posted it. Now, at your home, there's been a lot going on. I know y'all had a pork chop uh, meeting of the pork, pork chop, chop club. club mm-hmm. Yes, it was a wang dang doodle. I bet it was. Yep. Well, the pork chop club is a club that was created quite a few years ago in honor of said Thomas Williams coming to Jackson from Nashville, mm-hmm. and he brought pork from Bear Creek Farms. And I know that's a place that has a Family yes, connections. Yes, yes, that's my brother's family in uh, outside of Nashville. They're in Franklin and uh, Leapers Fork. They grow their own and mules and butcher them and process them and sell them primarily to local restaurants in the Nashville area, but also they ship. And Thomas is one of their great advocates and friends. Yeah. So the Pork Chop Club was founded when he came and brought pork. And served it to my husband, John Palmer, his twin, Jim Palmer. And we decided to form a club that only we were in. Nobody else could ever join. No Christmas parties. Um, You know, there's some rules. Yeah, I'm sure there are. But now we have a very large ceramic pig that we put in the middle of the table that has all of our names on it. I've seen the pig. Yeah. I've never, of course... I, or have I been to the pork I chop think, club? I, I think, think I went one invited. time when Bill Dunlap was there. Yes, I think y'all we let had, in a few mm-hmm. outsiders. Well, it's not that we don't have guests, and we had guests 
this week we had Joe and Mary Pryor Sherman, uh-huh. and we had it was the first pork chop club meeting in a very long time. I bet y'all had a lot of ground to cover. We had a lot of you ground to cover. So, time. do you want me to talk about the pork first? Or the appetizer. Oh, let's begin at the beginning. The appetizer, of course. It was amazing. Joe and Mary Pryor Sherman, they never come empty-handed. And they bought... You're talking about the Lebanese breeze. Yeah, the Lebanese breeze. Joe Sherman brought Jacques Pepin's chicken liver pâté. Jacques Pepin's chicken liver pâté. Pâté. And I believe you have tasted this before at yes. their at their home. Yes. Uh, they del- did it especially uh, for my husband, and and they do it in a four inch springform pan, so mm. you're not overwhelmed with pate. It's just just enough. Just enough. Just enough. And a it hint has, of pate. Yeah, a little aspic on the top. Ooh, and aspic. Joe says it's really, really easy to make, and uh, he shared the recipe with me, and I am going to do it this week. But it was divine, only to be assisted by marvelous croutons that Mary Pryor made. And, yeah, there's nothing like a good seasoned crouton. With plenty of butter. Yes. So that was the start of it all. And then we had the famous larded pork chop. From the Flora Butcher. Ah, which I've never had. I've heard a lot really? of talk about it. I've never. Okay, to we're going to correct this. We're going to I've not yet had the larded yeah. pork chop. Scrambled How about you, eggs. No. no, I have never had that. We've heard about it. Oh, yes. We've yes. actually had the chef Rains on, and he's talked about the larded pork chop. Thomas talks about the larded pork chops all the time. Carol talks and her, about it. And her club, <laughs> private club, have the larded pork chops, but I've yet to have one. Okay, I just want well, to know about the application process. Okay, well, I'm 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 going to talk to you about it because I actually texted Chef Rains this morning uh, to ask him about it because you buy these at the Flora Butcher and they are very very thick. They are you know probably two inches thick, mm. and it is the most tender pork chop that you will ever have. And the reason it is tender is because it it's larded, and that is a technique. It is a, a very traditional French technique, and you use a larding needle. It is a long needle. Uh, we used to sell them at the Everyday Gourmet. I would sell about one a year. <laughs> but we had them, and it's probably like 10 inches long, and it has a hollow interior. Hmm. And you put the lard, and, and um, David says that – that the the pork uh, that is warm seasoned lard. It's not just any lard. It's seasoned with salt and a little rubbed sage, and you insert it into the meat very slowly. And mm-hmm. as you withdraw the needle, it leaves, it leaves this, the lard. this very tasty lard. lard behind. And and you do it four or five times per pork chop. Uh, and and here's an interesting fact. They only used the ribeye of the pork to do the larded chop. Interesting. So anyway, it was absolutely delicious. Uh, we also mm. had 
snap peas, fresh snap peas, just lightly sautéed with salt and pepper. They were fresh out of Donna Barksdale's garden that very day. And I'm seeing a lot of people are growing snap peas, and this is tis the season. Well, that's great. I I would grow them, but the birds and the squirrels would get to them like they have my blackberries and my tomatoes and my squash. They get everything. They get up earlier than I do, and they eat more than I do. And Well— I, so I just kind of let them have it. Yeah, we've got to get some tips from our listeners. <laughs> you know, we want to share with the animals. But uh, just kind of rounding out the, the meal, uh, I did a recipe by the great chef Edna Lewis. It was a baked sweet potato dish with lemon, and it was delicious. You actually cut the sweet potatoes into medallions. Mm. And, you know, in the picture I saw it was just beautifully uh, stacked are laid around an oval casserole, and it was just a lovely dish. And there's just nothing that goes with pork for me like a sweet potato. Hmm. Or maybe some sort of garnish or a sauce. We, a we sauce. do love a condiment. Oh, well, I'm so glad you asked because there was indeed a condiment. And I didn't want to bring it up because y'all make fun of me about drizzling, but mm. I did drizzle a peach habanero sauce. It was a condiment that I also bought at the Flora Butcher and drizzled it like the last minute. When I took the pork chops out, I drizzled and then stuck them back in the oven for just a minute so it just oozed over the pork chop. And that is the culture of Southern flavor. It is the culture of Southern flavor. You can always tell a delicious meal from the way like this, I, I I was nowhere near this pork chop club, <laughs> but I can taste everything. Yes. Because the description and the preparation, oh, man, this is sound. I'm glad y'all had a good time. <laughs> well, uh, you guys are up for the, ne- for the next guest at the pork chop club. But, you know, I suggest we also need some greens. That was yeah, really yeah, missing yeah. from the plate. I just I didn't have time and I'm just not very good at it. Two dogs farm would have some greens. Well, indeed, they do. So, Carol, the lemon in the uh, sweet potatoes, I need to know more about that. Uh, One would not ordinarily think of lemon as one of the ingredients in a sweet potato dish. Well, it really really added. But um, these sweet potatoes, you cut cut them in medallions, and then you made a sauce of sugar and water and nutmeg. And lemon zest, and you cooked that on the stove for about 10 minutes. But the interesting thing for me, because I'd never done it, instead of just little tiny pieces of lemon zest, mm. this they they said do a big strip, like a six-inch strip of lemon oh. zest, and it, it really flavored the sauce. And mm. at the end of the sauce making, you actually beat in some lemon juice, and you poured all of this goodness over the sweet potatoes. All right, we're going to talk about uh, whatever's on your hearts and minds, and also we're going to talk, maybe touch on uh, a tidbit that uh, Java has unearthed about a Nigerian chef who's set up a nonstop cooking record. Yeah, I saw this, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, a Nigerian chef, um, she's really displaying her black girl magic. Uh, chef Hilda Bassey, she um, set a world, a world record. It's yet to be confirmed. Uh, Guinness, you know, Guinness book, they have to come down and do all their confirmations and things. But mm. she cooked for 100 hours 
um, straight, apparently, beating, beating the world record, um, which was set um, by an Indian chef in 2019, Lada Tundon. Um, who cooked for 87 hours and 45 minutes. Um, Hilda, she cooked like over 100 meals, um, more than 55 different type of recipes. Um, She did it all for the love of Nigerian cuisine and was getting lots of of press and and, and publicity and love from like government officials and Nigerian celebrities and things like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, you know, the big question, why? Yes, and you've you've answered that. I, I I did see that flashing across something this week, and like I told Malcolm or asked Malcolm, why? <laughs> and now we know because indeed she did put a spotlight on Nigerian cuisine. Yeah, I just think I would have come up with a better way to do it. <laughs> she said she was. Um, they asked her about it, and you do. I had I had to look this up because I was like, how are you cooking? For 100 nonstop hours, that's like the the way the record is worded, cooking nonstop for 100 hours. But you are allowed to take breaks, um, structured breaks, so you're not just up for all those hours. Um, but, yeah, she just did it for the love of Nigerian food and putting, you know, putting her stamp on it. Hmm. You know, sometimes it feels like 100 hours when you're cooking right. something like a Thanksgiving meal. And I know that caterers must feel a hundred hours when they're preparing, you know, hundreds of little bitty bites yeah. for events. But these are a hundred actual hours. That's cool. Well, yeah, and it was pretty. It was it was pretty interesting. I see a book. I see a book of recipes of what she cooked for a hundred hours. But we'll see. We'll, well see. you can see into the future. I can. <laughs> it's it's murky, but I can see. So you know, it is a farmer's market. Uh, time of year, Carol, and uh, we're blessed here in Jackson area, the metro, as we call it, with uh, a lot of farmers markets. The state has, of course, the big Mississippi market down at the fairgrounds. And then there's a couple of others that are longstanding as well. Yes, um, Doris Berry's farmers market is on Highway 80 in Pearl. Mm. And for decades, Miss Berry was down at the Woodrow Wilson farmer's market and sadly she is no longer with us but her niece marcy runs that operation and my daughter-in-law melinda berry it's another one of those berries works there three days a week so i like to go by on, on those on those days but they have wonderful wonderful produce mm. um, they have lots of you know, jarred things and condiments and roasted peanuts there. And then my all-time, you know, one of my all-time favorites is Brenda Langham's Market down at Woodrow Wilson. And they, too, have been there for decades. I remember, you know, her daddy, who uh, I think passed away about three or four years ago. They're farmers down in Simpson County. And People come from all over to get Daddy's Tomatoes. Yes. And although Daddy is no longer with us, Daddy's Tomatoes are indeed. And there are certainly farmer's markets all over the state. And we would love to hear from listeners who have a favorite farmer's market they would like to highlight, tell us about, give us the hours of operation. If, if you're so inclined, uh, it is that time of year where the tomatoes and the squash 
are starting to come in. Uh, cucumbers, uh, it's about to break loose. And uh, we want to highlight our farmer's markets and our local farmers. And there's always fresh herbs and all sorts of uh, peaches and pears and all sorts of fun stuff coming in. Uh, for well, maybe not peaches and pears, but maybe pears. Anyway, maybe, yeah. maybe. You know, Malcolm, I remember on the coast a few years ago going to a Bay St. Louis farmers market, and there were Vietnamese egg rolls and just wonderful yeah. treats from the immigrant communities down on the coast. Mm-hmm. And I know some farmers markets are really good at that, or, of bringing in people with unusual food and i would love to hear about some of those because i want to get out i'm staying close to home this summer i want to get out and test some of these a stay summer close it is to a home. stay summer all right a staycation a stay, I, it's a staycation if i could be honest with you guys malcolm and Kara, i really wish i was i guess born in a uh more of a I guess a slower time where the farmer's market was more so your grocery Yeah. as far yes. as like, you know, I, I'm, I know I was, I was born in the eighties, so I'm a microwave baby. Everything is always <laughs> on the shelf at the grocery store for us. But I can think back how, you know, you basically would go to the farmer's market or to your uh, area every day and then gather your things for the meal that night Mm. yes and and that's still very much done in other countries okay yeah uh it's 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 part of the culture in in spain in france in italy Mm and lots of places Mm -hmm. that i've been vietnam mexico yeah beautiful beautiful you gather your ingredients that day yeah but java to tell you what a food nerd i am a few years ago I took a two-week vacation visiting farmers markets in Northern California. Hmm. Started in the Napa Valley, went up to Hillsburg, and then all the way to the top, and then back down like through Ukiah. I was thinking at the time about starting a farmers market in Greenwood, where I was working for Viking Range. And you did start one. I did in, indeed, and it it thrives, and now they have a. You know, permanent structure. What were the, some of the, I guess, if you could think back, some of the differences between as you traveled, you know, across those different farmers markets? Well, it was, you know, the abundance of different foods because California is, is really yeah. the growing the growing area of the country and the uh, the abundance of organic produce. And that was really uh, what what hit me. And, you know, they also had you know, tons of flowers and herbs and just any day of the week you could go, you know, within a 30 or 40 mile radius, these markets kind of moved around. And, you know, there were some that were that you saw at several different markets, some farmers, but that farmers really made a living with this. And you know, it was the first time I'd ever seen heirloom tomatoes and heirloom radishes. But our good friend Bruce Browning and I had a wonderful two weeks doing that. All right. We've got some callers regarding farmers markets. We've also got our buddy Thomas Williams on the phone. We're going to ask Thomas to hang tight a minute. Mike from Hernando is calling about a farmers market in his part of the world. Hello, Mike. Hey, y'all. I'm in DeSoto County. Uh, Hernando, our farmers market, I don't know if y'all know this, but it's nationally ranked seventh as best farmers market in the United States. And if anybody's up this way on a Saturday, uh, it's truly worth visiting. They got everything in the world. 
Wow. It's not huge, but it's nationally ranked. And, man, you can get some fantastic buys, some wonderful food, all locally grown, fresh. I and mean, tomatoes still have dirt on them and stuff like that. Very and cool. And it, uh, it's just a wonderful experience. And that's uh, in DeSoto County and Hernando. And it's open, what, in Saturday? Hernando. What days is it open? Saturdays. Uh, Saturdays, starting at 9 in the morning, they ring the bell, uh-huh. and uh, it runs uh, till around 1 o'clock. Okay. But it's right on right around Court Square. Around the, the, the square downtown. Yeah, I would really love to go there. We have so many listeners, and we have lots and lots of callers from DeSoto County and in North Mississippi. Seems like a lot food-wise is going on up there. That's yes, good. it is. Yes, and, very much so. And, Mike, we thank you for listening and always calling and keeping us abreast of what's going on in that part of the world. And, again, remembering the Hernando Farmer's Market um, every Saturday uh, at the square. Next caller is in Cleveland, Mississippi. Charlotte's calling about the Farmer's Market in her part of the world. Yes, uh, we have the uh, and we have a Facebook page. It's Cleveland, Mississippi Farmers Market, and it's downtown Cleveland, four hundred one Cotton Row, and it's right uh, alongside the Cotton House Hotel. Um, and it reopens June the third, and there's produce, baked items, and crafts that are sold every Saturday in the summer. Great, great information. Who, who sponsors the farmers market, Charlotte? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. The Facebook page has a, a link about everything and a, a, a 601 phone number on the Facebook page. Well, we'll take a look at. Do y'all yeah. have music also? Yes, ma'am. And all over town, we have um, um, older. Uh, pianos just sitting in front of restaurants and stores and people who can play piano will just sit and play for others and and then we have a gazebo where they have uh, bands during the farmer's market. It's it's really nice. Well, when I think of Cleveland now, I think of music because Cleveland has really become a music town with the Grammy Museum and the Delta Music Institute, and you can just about hear music anywhere. Home of the Fighting Okra. Fighting Okra. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. We appreciate hearing from you and what's going on in Cleveland, Mississippi, up in the Delta, their farmer's market. All right, we're going to jump up to Thomas Williams, who's on the hold. He's coming in from New Orleans. What's happening, our friend Thomas? How you doing, Malcolm Carroll, Java? Um, I am here, down here in New Orleans and uh, having some good food. Visited Mosquito Supper Club last night. Ooh. And um, going to the Delta. And Wagner family was nice enough to show me the operations of Two Books Rice and spent some time in Jackson and um been a good trip so far, a little car problems, but other than that, we're having a good time. So tell us about uh, the Mosquito Supper Club. Because we're jealous. We're jealous. It's I've probably not been. our favorite cookbook of the past two or three years. And we interviewed her during the pandemic, and it was kind of sketchy. It, it was very sketchy because she was on not a her, telephone and kept dropping. Technology. So, Thomas, uh, you need to, to help us get that interview well, it's, uh, I'd be happy to try to facilitate that, but it's it's one of my favorite places in New Orleans right now. It's it's a it's in a it's, the restaurant is in a house, 
It is around 42 seats. Um, the menu is is a fixed menu. So last night um, I had crawfish bisque um, with the crawfish heads, and it was excellent as well as she always – the only thing that's a constant in me is a sweet potato biscuit with Dean's syrup compound butter. Mm. Um, was that Steen's S T E E S T E E N S? I couldn't tell if you said Dean or Steen. No, excuse me. I'm sorry. Steen's correct um, with an S. But the um, and so we had sweet potato biscuits started off, and then the crawfish bisque, as well as some pickled shrimp, some uh, grouper crudo, and uh, crab claws, and <laughs> Next course was um, stuffed crab that was incredible, um, which just about 90% crab meat with some just very, very little bread. It was my, almost all, all meat. And um, then for dessert, a blackberry um, crumble, a, a similar um, to um, your bluebird that Kara created uh, with some buttermilk ice cream. Mm. And it was quite, quite tasty. Um, but they're very good servers um, and a very, it's a, it's a, it's excellent food, but in a very genteel atmosphere, very welcoming. Um, so I, it's one of my favorites in New Orleans. Again, Melissa Martin, who is the owner and also the author of the cookbook, is from the Louisiana coast, and you know, the the subtitle of her book is Recipes from a Disappearing Bayou, and she's really brought a lot of attention to the you know, problems of the seafood industry down there and, and just you know, the ab- abundance of what was there and how to use what is there. Correct. She, she's very dedicated to, to that region, her, her region, and to promoting the, the growers. I know you're just talking about farmers markets and that's I think that's also a key for the farmers having very good relationships with restaurant owners and chefs so that so that they can um, you know use their products on an everyday basis and it's a symbiotic relationship. Well Thomas, we appreciate the update on that. You also stopped in the Mississippi Delta as you were making your way down from uh, Nashville to the Gulf South, and you stopped in uh, in the Delta and picked up some rice, as I understand it. I did. I, I was um, fortunate to stop and, and uh, spend some time with the Wagner family at Two Brooks Rice and see their operations and pick up some rice, phenomenal rice, um, all grown in the Delta and sustainable with, with really good practices and and then we were able to break some bread with Taylor Bowen Ricketts at, at the phenomenal Fan and Johnny's, which I, I never, if I get within 200 miles, I never like to miss yeah. Taylor's wonderful food. Um, it, was a, it was a great day and um, share some rice with, with you all. It's, it's, it's some, some of the best rice I've ever had in my life, and it's coming from the Delta. And, and I think there again, um, there's phenomenal food ways and food producers. Um, in the great state of Mississippi that need to be highlighted. Yes. Thank Thank you, you, Thomas. And uh, stay on the road and keep in touch as you have your culinary adventures. And when you arrive back in J-Town, you'll have a big slab of blueberry crumble awaiting you. 
sounds good. I look forward to it. Okay. Thank you all. See you soon. And thank you, thanks again for Thomas for uh, being the f- only person to ever bring a seafood tower to Deep South Dining. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Java. That's right. Enjoy it. That was amazing. Absolutely amazing. All right. Well, maybe we'll have to do that again sometime. All right. All right, Carol, uh, briefly, let's talk about these sell-by dates or freeze-by or enjoy-by or delicious if used by on the products that we buy in grocery stores. You know, this is a topic we're going to just touch on it today, but I think we should spend uh, more time talking about it because 80 million tons of food gets thrown away because of people's misperception about sell-by, use-by, freeze-by, or even enjoy-by dates. And the, the 80 million tons, that is a, a government estimate. You know, they do pretty well at mm. estimating and having data on those things. But the United States has no national standards for this, unlike other countries. And, you know, sell-by does not mean that the food is is bad. Right. It means it's when it, they think it's in its prime. Yeah. Whoever's they packaging it, it. They want it to leave, you know, to leave the store in its prime. Right. And um, or you know, enjoy by. Right. I mean, don't throw out boxes of stale cereal. It's because not bad. Yesterday for you. it said it's not bad. It's not right. bad. It, you know, it's not bad for you. You just. You really need to trust your senses, right. you know, your sense of smell. I mean, you can smell when milk's bad or of something course. like that is bad. And, you know, use your eyes to look at it, but just don't willy-nilly throw everything away. Of course, there are exceptions to mm-hmm. that. I think you have to be really careful with proteins and, you know, and those type things. But um right. But they're there for a reason, but our advice is to uh, use your own common sense. Well, Malcolm, sometimes they're there for a marketing reason. Correct. Of course, companies want to sell more food. Of course they do. So if it's delicious, buy. Yeah. I mean, it's still delicious after a week, but our grandmothers knew. If it's cooked properly, (laughs) it will be delicious Regardless. Yes, our grandmothers had no sell-by dates no, they did on not. their products, and they looked to see if the bread was moldy yeah, sniffed, or sniffed to see if, if the milk was bad or tasted mm-hmm. things. So yeah. there you go. So there, we'll just uh, briefly touch on that. We can make a whole show out of it if we so desire later down the road. But meanwhile, let's go back to the phones. John and Mobile's calling about a tomato quiche recipe. Hello, John. Hey, how you doing? John Mobile. Hey man, I got a tomato, tomato Florentine quiche. Ooh. Easy to make. You know. Prep is twenty. Yeah, go ahead and get a pen and paper if you need it. We're ready. Let it rip. Prep time is twenty minutes. Bake it in an hour. <clears throat> Let it stand for about twenty minutes. Cool. Has eleven ingredients in it. One ten ounce package frozen chopped spinach. One fourteen and a half ounce can ounce petite diced tomatoes drained. Okay. Uh, two tablespoons Italian seasoned breadcrumbs. Okay. Three large eggs. Cup of half and half. Four bacon slices cooked and some crumbled. One half or two ounces of shredded sharp cheddar cheese. One half cup or two ounces shredded mozzarella cheese. One teaspoon pesto seasoning or dried basil. Right. And, uh, 
one unbaked nine inch frozen deep dish pie crust. And you garnish it with Italian parsley. Very good. Now, I would say that sounds terrific, but if one wanted to use fresh spinach and cook it down, reduce it down, get rid of the water before you use it, or fresh tomatoes because it's that time of year, feel free to. Yeah, you could do. Yeah, and I'm assuming you well. beat the eggs, start it together, and pour it in. And man, would I like that for brunch. I love a lunch. good quiche. Okay, here it is right here. So you drain the spinach, and then you uh, toss together the diced tomatoes, Italian seasoned crumbs. Stir together spinach egg, half and half, the bacon, and the next four ingredients into a large bowl. Mm-hmm. Then fold the tomato mixture. Pour into a frozen pie crust and place on a baking sheet, 350 for about 60 minutes. Remove and let stand for 60 minutes and garnish with uh, Italian parsley. Terrific. And voila, you have tomato quiche. Florentine. Yeah, tomato Florentine quiche. It is wonderful. Excellent. I wish he could mail it, but yeah. we're, gonna, we're just going to have to make it. But That's great. Thank you, <laughs> Thank so, you so much, much for John. sharing. All right, we're going to uh, Brandon, Mississippi now. Tom's on the phone. What's up, Tom? Hi, Malcolm and uh, Carol. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning. I traveled for a living, and outside of St. Louis, uh, they had a restaurant that I frequented, and uh, it had the greatest uh, stir-fry vegetable uh, dish, uh, and it was primarily because of the sauce that they used. I heard Carol mention last week that uh, she used uh, leftovers, vegetables, for a stir-fry. Uh, as best as I can remember, the stir-fry sauce they had was similar to what uh, Yakiniku uses in their bulgogi dish uh, here in Jackson. But I was curious to know what Carol uses as a sauce when she stir-fries uh, her vegetable, leftover vegetables. Well, I start usually with oil. And, you know, when I'm doing a stir-fry, I, I don't usually use olive oil. I use just a really neutral oil, like a grapeseed oil. I, I just said earl oil. You did say earl. <laughs> some, some oil. And, you know, and, and stir-fried, and then I splash a little soy sauce on it. Splash. Splash. It's kind of like drizzle. Mm, splash it. And then I finish it off when it comes off the heat with a little sesame oil. Mm. And so that, you know, it, that's not really a, you know, sauce per se, but it does the trick with the vegetables and then, you know, adding rice. As so go, that's, yeah. that's what I do. But I do other Recipes, Chinese recipes, where you actually, you know, make uh, make a slurry with cornstarch and water and stir that together, and then add it to the pan with whatever you know sauce or other base that you're using. But but that that's my main thing is just oil, soy sauce, and the sesame sauce really yeah. adds. Oh, I forgot to mention the splash of rice wine vinegar. There you go. But that just brings of, it all together. A whole together. lot of splashing going on. There's Carol. a whole lot of splashing going on. So there, and I'm I'm glad that you're a fellow leftover user. Yes. You know, Malcolm and I are big on leftovers and repurposing food. And I live with someone who is not a leftover. So do I. And I you know what? It leaves more for us. It does, but I just don't understand it. If you don't have to understand wonderful it, Carol. on one day. You do not have to understand okay. it. 
Enjoy the leftovers. (laughs) Tom, thank you so much for listening and calling and sharing uh, what's going on in your world. We appreciate each and every one of you who tune in every Monday to listen to our show, Deep South Dining. Also, for those of you who catch us on Sundays, and there's a programming note that Java yeah, because, wants to uh, share. Yeah, all of our listeners, we appreciate them for tuning in every Monday. You know, we have so many locally produced programs. And coming up next, Marshall Ramsey, it's a, like a tie-in with Deep South Dining. I know you guys um, probably have been to White Pillars Restaurant. Oh, yeah. Um, in uh, in Biloxi. And Chef Austin Summerall, he was the winner of Food Next Works, Alex versus America. Um, I think it maybe announced a winner last week or a couple weeks ago, and he's going to be talking with uh, Marshall Ramsey on next in the next hour. So, right. yeah, Marshall's such a great show. Last week he had Bobby Rush. Um, he did, and man, there man was a alive. buzz in the green room. Yeah, there was. Bobby Rush was in the house, and uh, speaking of blues and singers i sent you a little tidbit yesterday it was a thread on twitter about freezing pimento cheese oh yeah and what i loved is one of my favorite guitarist singers and songwriters jason isbell is very active on twitter and his uh his comment to all of this talk about freezing pimento cheese was i've never run into a situation where I needed to freeze pimento cheese. For me, it's always been make it, eat it, and wash the bowl. Wash the bowl. W-A-R-S-H. So he washes. (laughs) Thank you, Jason Isabel, for sharing. He's just such a a great musician. Your thoughts on pimento cheese. Now, we were going to talk a bit uh, about grilled cheese, and you've done a lot of research. We're going to do that also because we love a good grilled cheese. In fact, I love making pimento cheese grilled cheese. Do you do that? Oh, yes. One of my faves. I made it this week with shishito. Shishito. Pimento cheese. Pimento shishito. That I bought in Blue Mountain, Florida. Oh, did you now? At the Cowgirl Kitchen. You've been to the beach, have you? Been to. It was just a little drop-in. Oh, I see. A dip-in and a dip-out. Yeah. And Malcolm, I also want to talk. I don't know. You that take we have your time and talk away. Time today, but we'll run into Marshall's time. I'm, he doesn't I'm, mind. Yes, I'm. I'm concerned about asparagus. I know you are. Speak. Well, asparagus. It, it's really time for asparagus, and there's some beautiful, and I, beautiful asparagus out there. And I have one question for mm-hmm. you: Do you snap or cut? Um, both. Um, I, more often than not, cut. But I love a good snap. And so uh, if they're firm and large, we have some in our refrigerator right now. When I go home, I may just snap them. Well, I have always snapped because I learned in cooking school many years ago that you snap. You, you know, bend the asparagus and where it naturally breaks, you're That's breaking the off the fibrous part. Mm-hmm. But I have uh, been, I read that we are wasting a lot of good asparagus when we do that because mm-hmm. it is not really – we're breaking off more than we need to. More so than we this, 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 is, this <laughs> suggestion is to take one asparagus one. and you know, carefully feel where the fiber ends, Okay, snap it, and then use it 
as a template Mm -hmm. for the other asparagus and cut them. And not only will they be tasty and you won't waste as much, but they will look uniform on the platter. And what is a singular asparagus? I'm just worrying. Yeah, <laughs> is it asparagus and asparagi? Is I don't know. The plural. I was just thinking the same thing. Well, you, when you speak of one, you almost have to come up with asparagus. Pen- one asparagus. Okay. I, I think. Okay, you're. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure you're right. What's your favorite way to cook asparagus? Well, I I like to roast them. Mm-hmm. I like to put them on a sheet pan. Sprinkle a little olive oil and roll it. This is kind of fun. You roll roll it with your hands. Just kind of roll uh-huh. it over the asparagus. Put it in a hot oven, 400 degrees, for about 10 minutes. And then sprinkle some wonderful sea salt, like a Malden sea salt or mm. a fleur de sel. And it's just perfect. Man, I, I wish that I had asparagus in my garden. My friend Susan Lyles grows fresh asparagus. And... Uh, that sounds yeah. like a terrific thing. Because they well, say once it, it gets going, it's yeah. pretty easy. It just sort of comes back. It's a perennial. And it, it's a perennial. I mean, it can last 100 years. I mean, I remember that Bruce Browning had an asparagus plant that it was his, gran- was his grandmother's. And I've heard that from other people, too. Once it goes, it goes. But getting it to go, yeah. Yeah. it's tough. tough. It's tough. All right. Your asparagus does not have to be tough. That's the takeaway from today's show. And you can cut, not snap. That's right. It's your choice. It's it's the chef's choice. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Think Radio. We're funded by the generous contributions from our listeners like yourself, and we thank you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. My co-host, Carol Palmer. This is Malcolm White. We ask that you now stay tuned for Marshall Ramsey's show. We previewed that. Earlier and follow that is Southern Remedy at 11. And we ask that you join us every Monday at 9 a.m. for Deep South Dining. Also on 9 a.m. on Sundays. And you can podcast us anytime your little heart desires. You've heard our show exclusively on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.